Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glaser, a mental health podcast. Helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer. Welcome back to Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer. And one of the great things I get to do here on my podcast is, is reconnect me with my brothers and people I've leaned into over the years. People who knew that I had these issues before I came out with these issues and loved me no matter what. And again, I've always told everybody, well, I used to be Glazer's crazy, and well, but they didn't know the pain I was in. This man knew the pain I was in and has always been there for me. And you may know him, got the silver star from President Bush for his heroics in, in the Marines. He was uh, the WEC lightweight champ in the world. He was the fifth-ranked middleweight in the UFC at one point. He was a broadcaster. He played football at Naval Academy, was their middle linebacker, had a quarterback at one point. Like, basically, I don't know who he was in a previous life, but God has blessed him. He was like Jonas Salk or something, because now he's Captain America. All the shit he's done is unbelievable. I want to welcome in my brother, Brian Stan, who is also, man, he's done so much work for veterans since leaving the military. It's incredible. But the work you've done for me has, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really truly thanked you. Like, you know, I'm grateful, but man, you have got me through some dark fucking times, brother. And I really here want to thank you for all of it. Man, I, one, that's really humbling, man. I'm, I'm blown away because as much as, as I may have helped you, you've been there for me as well. I mean, you remember the first time I ever got a broadcasting shot on Fox, you texted me, you reached out to them, got my number, said, Hey, bro, this is Jake Laser. We're going to work together tomorrow. Meet me on the mats. Let's roll around. Let's work out. We got to get to know each other. We got to build some chemistry and. You know, you just don't find that. It's not like, you know, the, the, these, you know, these, these experienced insiders, broadcasters, television personalities are going to go do that to some no name who got the opportunity, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska because somebody got <laughs> sick, right? And, uh, we've been through dark times together, man. And, and, and I appreciate it. And I've loved watching your journey and, and I pull strength and wisdom 
from the experiences that you've had because you, you've had some some incredible ones in your life, man. So thanks for having me. No, absolutely, man. And it's, again, I, I've seen your journey also, uh, but it's incredible. I used to brag about you all the time, and like most people are, are in the military, you couldn't do it, right? You guys get so uncomfortable. So I tell everybody, oh my gosh, this is Brian. He had so I'm going to have you tell people you went to Annapolis mm-hmm. as a quarterback. Yeah, went there as a quarterback and uh, didn't work out. Wasn't an option guy. So weren't weren't smart enough, right? No, weren't smart. Wasn't smart <laughs> enough. Went to wide receiver, then to safety, then to linebacker. We had, you know, uh, defense and offensive coordinator fired one year. Then the head coach fired in the locker room the next year. Tons of coaching changes. But I was there when Paul Johnson got there for my senior year, and you know, I found my way to contribute primarily on, on special teams, which is really disappointing to me. But, man, it was one of the best lessons I ever learned. If you're not finding a way to add value to whatever team, organization, or unit you're a part of, you make yourself vulnerable and replaceable. And um, I developed a lot of leadership in doing that. And then from there, obviously, um, 9-11 happened our junior year. And so we knew we were graduating, going to war, and uh, hmm. I, I selected Marine Corps, and and then became an infantry officer. Why did you select the Marine Corps? Uh, you know, there, there was really no, there were no other options that fit me. Right, I I knew my personality, and in high school, it was tough for me because I took things so seriously. People always called me intense. This doesn't surprise you at all. Oh no shit! <laughs> you know. I then go to the Naval Academy, and it turns out I was a little intense for the Naval Academy. So then I decide I'm going to go to the place where intense people are welcomed, celebrated, and normal, and that's the United States Marine Corps. (laughs) We are are all normal there. And then I went, you know, into the infantry uh, units, and and that's where it's even more extreme. And that was just the the perfect fit for me. And I just knew that I I couldn't serve during a period of combat and you know, end up serving in a supporting unit. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I belonged on the battlefield. That's where my skills and my talents and and my leadership would be best used. That's where I wanted to be and I enjoyed being. And so that that's why I wanted to go Marines and and not a day goes by that I ever regret my service. Did you enjoy it for the intensity or did you enjoy it for the brotherhood? The leadership, the brotherhood. I mean I was I was twenty four years old platoon commander. I had 42 Marines. Half of them were younger than I was. The other half were older than I was. Just incredible young men who during a time of combat, during a time of two wars, raised their right hand and said, yeah, all serve voluntarily. And to truly think about that commitment at that young an age is so humbling. And the opportunity to lead them and learn from them and, and be their platoon commander it is one of the coolest, most fulfilling jobs in the world, albeit comes with some pressure and stress. Well, you had an awful lot of stress on a particular night over a span of, was it four or five days? It was six. Six. Yeah. Tell that story. Sure. You know, we were in western Al-Ambar province and north of the Euphrates River, we had no forces, no American forces whatsoever. And at that time, uh, the main leader for Al-Qaeda in Iraq was a guy named Al-Zarqawi. And he was operating, training, recruiting north of the Euphrates in western Al-Ambar province where there was no borders. He could very easily go from Syria to Iraq 
run operations and all of his teams of Al Qaeda had free freedom of maneuver there. And so in the weeks leading up to Operation Matador, we were doing a bunch of supporting operations with an outfit called 626. It was a joint team of Delta and Navy SEALs. And we were like a quick reaction force for them if they needed any support. And they were going up there and doing raids and what they were encountering, which is a much larger force than we knew was there. So we decided we were going to do this large operation, build bridges, go north, and clear everything from east to west. And my unit was a cavalry unit, so eight vehicles with heavy machine guns. Then they supplemented me with a platoon of tanks um, from Boise, Idaho, Marines I'd never worked with, who I met the night before the operation. Wow. And we were supposed to be a quick reaction force south of the bridge once the operation started. Problem was they started to build this bridge, you know, three in the morning and it was taking too long. And there was a unit that was supposed to go to the, the only place in the western portion of the Euphrates River that had a bridge that the enemy could escape. This platoon was going to go there and provide a blocking position there. And that was in a known area that nobody ever went to. It was full of enemy. And the last unit that was there that tried to go there lost a couple of Marines getting there. So everybody was really worried about that platoon getting there. Well, that platoon was trying to get there. They had never been in that terrain and their vehicle sank in the mud because it was close to water. And so they sent us. I had 30 minutes notice. Stan, you got to get there now. Get your Marines ready. We get to get to that bridge. That's you and you and what? Forty two guys. Yeah, me and my forty two guys plus two tanks that I'd never worked with before. These young kids. We get there, but we had to fight our way there. Something had changed, right? And what we didn't know, we found out after the fact, was that Zarqawi actually moved from his unit. Al Qaeda moved from north of the Euphrates down south into this city, Karabla. And so over the six days, I would go back and forth through Karabla to that blocking position to establish it, fight our way back, resupply it, stay there. Mm-hmm. And in the process of doing so, we fought through several ambushes. I lost two tanks. I think I'm the only lieutenant to have two tanks get catastrophic kills in the mm-hmm. Iraq war. A lot of Marines were injured, and, but fortunately, every one of those Marines, they live. And, wow. and really, it, it was in the most intense times where it's chaos, can't see, suicide vehicles are hitting you, IEDs are hitting you, enemies firing RPGs, there's lots of chaos. These young men, they listen, they get the basics right, they fight their ass off, and they sacrifice themselves for each other. I had a vehicle get hit with a suicide bomb. The suicide vehicle ran into it, took it out. Biggest explosion I've ever heard in my life. My my vehicle commander, half his body's melted. Other kid is in shock. The gunner right, has a piece of shrapnel sticking out of his forehead the size of this. I met him, yeah. And I got a 19-year-old kid climbing the vehicle while he's getting shot at by machine gun fire, somehow manages to pick this gunner up out of the turret, save his life and get him out of there. Gunner got shot in the arm while he was carrying him out. You just can't describe that kind of bravery, right, because so many people would like to think they would do that, but – they're doing that. They're saving each other yeah. with death right there. Like they right. know, hey, I am probably going to die doing this, but I'm doing it anyways to save you. It was incredible. And um, it was a time period in my life that that I've drawn strength from repeatedly. 
that I've drawn lots of sleepless nights and regret from, you know, wondering if I would have gone left instead of right, if I would have had them fire here instead of there, if I would have called the air support in over this shoulder instead of that shoulder, you what if these, you what if these things absolute death. Um, and, and that's the, that's the mental struggle in the aftermath when you're an officer, when you're a leader of those men. But here's, here's where I see difference in you in the past where, again, I try and pull the story out. I'd almost tell your story and fuck it up and tell other people because you wouldn't talk about it. Now I hear you talk about it so much with an exhale, with more pride of bravery of these men and the courage that you've had and what accomplishment this, this has been that you help lead men to save lives. And it's a different version of you telling the story. I'm proud to see because you deserve it. You deserve to love yourself up for this heroism. You deserve it. When did it change? Like you, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about it, but now I see this. When did it change where now you're able to let yourself feel that love? Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in the United States experienced mental illness last year. Yet far too many people with mental health needs fail to receive the treatment and support necessary to elevate their quality of life. Carillon Behavioral Health is doing something about it. Born out of one of the largest healthcare organizations in the country, Carillon Behavioral Health believes that behavioral health is a key part of whole health. With 40-plus years of experience and 115,000 in-network providers, they understand the power of meaningful connection and compassionate care, treating physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carillon Behavioral Health is there to not only help individuals in need, but caregivers, parents, and communities, so everyone comes out stronger on the other side. Carillon Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life to empathy and action. You know, it's, I think the, the first step, the first step was just trying to gain perspective and acceptance of what happened because my second tour in Iraq was worse than the first. I mean, we averaged, we averaged losing two Marines every 15 days. It was awful. It was violent. 
and we had Marines going down from supporting units. We were in one of the most dangerous areas of Iraq. And the first step was really finding something that I could do that would give me perspective. And that was martial arts, being on those mats, you know, getting after it. And when you get so exhausted that you're so tired that you can't hear anything else and you're just alone with your thoughts. And when you're that tired, you get that great feeling, right? Those great endorphins. And you can at least gain more perspective. You take a step back and you can think about this situation and say, you know what? I didn't cause those situations. Right. What decisions did I have available to me? You know, did, did I do the right thing? Did I do what I was trained for? Did I put my Marines before me every time? And, and when you think through those and you think back, that allows you to at least accept what happened. And I think as I've gotten older and I really realized the mistake I made after combat, which was all this violence I saw, I struggled with my faith. And I thought, you know what? If all of that can happen, how could there be a God? And as I've gotten older and I had kids, I went from seeing life taken all the time and taking lives to seeing life created and watching that life grow and experiencing these things in my life that could only be the love that that God has bestowed and the gifts he's bestowed upon me, that perspective really opened my eyes, opened my heart to really say, hey, you know what? I don't just accept what happened, but but I'm I'm okay with what happened, what me and my Marines did, how we 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 gave for one another, and how we've continued to to do whatever we can for those families of our brothers who didn't make it back so that their names continue to go on forever. And and that you know, that's really been the last four or five years, man. It's really taken that long for me to, to, to open up to that. And, and it, I was stubborn, right? I was stubborn. I would cry like instantly telling that story. I could come to tears immediately, you know, thinking about the brain damage Robert Gass has had to endure over the course of his life, you know, or, or Doug Champlin when he died and watching his father with his son, his baby son come to the funeral touching the pictures of his father, knowing he's never going to see his dad again. He's never going to know his father because he was just a baby. Like those memories just haunt you. And you constantly wonder what else could you have done to have prevented that. And and that stops you from living, right? That stops you from living. That stops you from truly memorializing those Marines, those warriors for the, the, the people they were so that they could be emulated and their character traits could be passed on to others. And, you know, finally opening myself up to that allows me to enjoy life more and commemorate them better. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, listen, this brotherhood you're talking about, we have a certain brotherhood in fighting, right? But those of us who didn't serve will never understood that brotherhood. And, you know, I want all the veterans in the military who, who hear this, that's your currency for life, that brotherhood. It's just nothing like it. And that, that makes you richer than all of us to have that level of love and brotherhood and sisterhood. Amen. I lost a lot of Marines to suicide after these deployments and every single time. And you know, this, you know this well, because you fight against it. You help, you know, create organizations to fight against it. It's isolation. They go isolate themselves. They, they, they don't find that brotherhood anymore. And when they do that, man, that, you know, busy minds don't wander to dark places. You go isolate yourself and you're not busy anymore and you're left alone to your own thoughts, man. We become vulnerable to that. And you're so right. And you saw, I mean, you saw it at, at my wedding, 
you know, you, you see these guys that I served with at the Naval Academy and in combat and that bond, I mean, is just incredible. Yeah. And it, it's unlike anything else in the world. And that's it. Look, we have a bond. Those of us who laid hand on, hands on each other, but your bond is that's times a thousand. There's just nothing like it. And that's why I've always had so much love and respect for the military and, and try to work with as many vets as I can through MVP and, and other organizations because this is the most selfless thing. Like you're saying, you, you decided after college, oh no, I'm going to go to war and I'm going to go protect people. I don't even know. I leave my own family. It's the most selfless thing on the planet, but not enough for you love yourself up for it. Really yeah. got to be proud of what you do and love yourself. And a lot of it is you guys being told, Hey, don't, don't talk about it. Right. Don't talk about it. We don't talk about what we did when, and especially in transition, it's hard. Again, I was the one telling your story instead of you telling your story. And when most people were looking for jobs, lying on their resumes, you guys are putting nothing on your resume. You're not talking about your experiences to get yourself work. You're right. We're downplaying it, right? Yeah. You tell me all the time, Brian, what are you doing? Right? Like this endorsement deal, or you could be pushing that your brand, this, I mean, this, all these things are a positive thing. Why are right. you're absolutely right? And like why am I telling the story, Brian? You need to tell it. Yeah. And I used to tell our vets at MVP the same thing. We yeah. got to start bragging about it. They go, Oh, we don't brag. It's terrible. I said, man, it's, 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 it's a different way of being proud. If it's true, it ain't bragging. Yeah. You know, and you know, I say, Hey, Deion Sanders would tell you he's picking you off, right? It's mm-hmm. not being arrogant. It's just, it's just going to happen, right? So there's a thing of, Hey, I'm not telling anybody to be arrogant. But be freaking proud of what you've done. Be proud of your scars. Be proud of your battles. That's right. There, there's a, there, there are really professional, humble ways of communicating the accomplishments of you and the units you served in, the position you held and the part of it you had that employers, people can tell right away. Wow. This, this is somebody I want on my team. This is somebody I want in my community. This is somebody that I want to go lead and influence my kids or this school. And you're exactly right. And we hold ourselves back sometimes by not communicating our own value proposition and our contributions and our skill sets in, in a humble but factual way. And, you know, I, I think that I think it's gotten better. I think it's gotten better because there's been so many people out there who have a brand saying, hey, we don't need to be like generations before. Right. It's okay. And I think it has improved some things, but we still have, we still have ways to go, right? Especially at that transition point, because that's the point where you either get that service member back assimilated into the community or they go back to their home of record and they potentially isolate themselves. That's the critical point. I want all our vets and active military who are listening to this to know. This is what I say in MVP. Motherfucker, you're different. And different is good. Don't come home, be face of the crowd. Be the crowd. Start your own crowd. You're different. Different is good. Too many people are afraid. And again, it's ingrained in the military. No, don't, don't stand out. Don't be different. Right. And we need you to realize, no, I'm different. Be proud of that. Different is good. I've so many times in MVP, I've pulled stories out of people which are unbelievable. And I'm like, why are you just telling us this now? And if you can't use that to be proud of yourself, it's going to be hard in your next step of life. You have to use it to be proud of yourself to get that next job, to live peacefully between the ears. Yeah. And the ultimate success is happiness, right? And we allow these past experiences to deprive us of our happiness because right. we feel guilty about them. And sometimes it's also the other thing, you know, that, that, that you do a great job with is it's okay to cry. Like it's okay to be okay. emotional. It's okay to be vulnerable, right? The toughest people in the world are vulnerable. 
And, mm-hmm. and sometimes we, we as, as veterans, we forget that and we're really afraid to show any weakness in public. And that, that holds us back because it really, it just keeps and packs that stuff in deep. So now let me tell you when I met Brian Stan, we're with our friend Alex Carolexis who's on the Ultimate Fighter One. He's fighting the WEC. We're backstage. This new fighter back there, Brian Stan, he's, he's a Marine. He's fighting back. And you know, there's a bunch of Marines and I think we're in the joint at the Hard Rock, right? I think mm-hmm. or something like that. It's in like a 3000 seat arena or something like that. And Brian is making his WEC debut and everybody back there is freaking out. They're all going nuts. They're all going nuts. And Brian says to his crew, you remember what you said? I don't remind you know, me. Everybody chill the oh, fuck out. Is anybody shooting at us in there? Shot at no. you guys. Let's go have some fucking fun. That's <laughs> I right. Like, oh I my God. <laughs> they were, they were so nervous. And I turned around and was like, Hey guys, nobody's getting shot at tonight. It's all right. Like we're just going to, just going to have a fist fight. Yeah, like, you said, okay. let's go have some fucking fun. I was like, who's this guy? And it's legal. Like, it's a fist fight. <laughs> it's legal. And these crazy bastards, they're going to pay me for it. Like, I remember, I remember that night before the fight, my one buddy was like, so how much do you make? Are you going to make like a grand for this or whatnot? And I was like, well, I'm not making a lot of my purse, but this agent really got me some, some endorsements. And so I was telling him how much I was going to make. He's like, huh. So like a, a one, one or two year used Honda Civic is what you're going to make tonight. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a fist fight. It's great. <laughs> so tell me about then your transition to UFC and give me some of your, your moments in there. Like, holy fuck, I'm fighting in the UFC. Like this is holy shit. Like give me, give me your holy shit moments during that. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in the United States experienced mental illness last year. Yet far too many people with mental health needs fail to receive the treatment and support necessary to elevate their quality of life. Carillon Behavioral Health is doing something about it. Born out of one of the largest healthcare organizations in the country, Carillon Behavioral Health believes that behavioral health is a key part of whole health. With 40-plus years of experience and 115,000 in-network providers, they understand the power 
of meaningful connection and compassionate care, treating physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carillon Behavioral Health is there to not only help individuals in need, but caregivers, parents, and communities, so everyone comes out stronger on the other side. Carillon Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. Yeah, I think, you know, um, my my first one, uh, I was fighting Christoph Shashinsky, mm-hmm. and I didn't know much. I had done my first camp that fight with with Greg Jackson down in Albuquerque. It was really the first camp where I had consistent world-class training. Because in the Marine Corps, I was training myself in the WEC. And I remember Greg saying to me my first week, he's like, Brian, and he meant this in the nicest way possible. He says, Brian, it's amazing what you've accomplished to date with this little knowledge that's been given to you. That's like code for saying, wow, you're really green at this, yet you're in the UFC. And, you know, I got submitted in that fight. I got caught in a Kimura, and that was really the oh shit moment where, hey, I don't like this feeling. I represent more than just myself. I'm in the big leagues now, and, you know, I'm not coming back into this octagon unprepared, right? I'm not rushing into the next fight. I'm going to go make sure that, that I'm ready. And, you know, there were, there was so much growth when I was in the WEC. I knew so little, but I knew what I knew. I was confident in what I knew. And it was like, Hey, I'm going to stand right in front of these folks. I'm going to bang with them. They shoot. I'm sprawling. I'm not going to take a lot of risks with kicks, but I'm going to fight my fight. And I'm going to make them fight my fights. You could fight fast. Then you start learning all these new techniques and you're thinking and you're slower. And it really wasn't until I dropped down to 185, had my first 185-pound fight against a national champion wrestler, but it was on the undercard. Nobody saw it. And I won by submission. Who who was that against? That was against a guy named Mike Nascenzio, who's a really good wrestler. Mm -hmm. And he wins the first round. I win the second round. I clip him hard. He went to shoot a double, and I caught it with my hand. I caught his head with my hand and cracked against the jaw. I rock him, and I submit him with a triangle choke. And then I get the Lieben fight where I was a three to one underdog. And the funny thing about Chris that, Lieben, yep, yep. yeah, at this point, I'm training with, you know, Rashad Evans, Keith Jardine, Joey Villasenor. John, John Jones here yet? John, John Jones is just, yeah, John Jones is down at the gym now, but I can't, I can't claim training with them because I would train with them, but I was able to do nothing against them. Right? <laughs> it was, I was absolutely useless and, and he didn't, he didn't even know anything yet, Jay, and he was killing all of us. But for that fight, the night before the fight, I remember I had a, a buddy who was like, man, how do you, how do you think this is going to go tomorrow night? I remember looking at him and saying, honestly, if I fight the way I've trained, this is going to be easy. And nobody knew it except everybody, everybody in that gym, my coaches were like, this Brian is going to run. They don't understand how much better he's gotten. And at that point, like I was primal. I was prime. I was so motivated. I remember walking into that octagon thinking to myself, man, I'm going to make him feel all of the pain that I felt coming back from war, all of the guilt, everything that I had on top of me. I want to put it all onto him. Wow. You've never told me this. It was terrible because one of the, one of the Marines that I had served with in my second tour, Garrett Meisner was his name. He's a great kid. He stayed in the Marine Corps. And he went on to a training team in Afghanistan. And I had found out that day, the day I fought Lieben, that he got killed in Afghanistan. 
and I was, I was beside myself. Like this kid was such a good kid, was going to get out of the Marine Corps, go get his college degree, probably come back as an all. He had such a bright future ahead of him and had his head on straight and loses his life. And I was pissed and it just brought back a lot of memories. And, and, but that's, that's the beauty of martial arts, man. You can have, and it's what you've joined with MVP, right? But no matter what you have here and in here, you get onto those mats with people you respect and you work that shit out. All of a sudden, when you're exhausted, all those problems, you could start to put them in perspective and line them up and say, okay, here's what I can control. Here's what I can't control, but I can influence. Here are the things I'm beating myself up about that I shouldn't be. And it's ruining these relationships over here. Like you just start to put some things together. And, and that's what martial arts has always done for me. And what'd you do with Chris Lieben? Oh, I put it on him, man. That was, that was, <laughs> and, and look, he's, he's a great fighter. And I, you know, he, he'd probably have something to say on the, on the stuff, but that, that was just my night. You know, it was just my night. And, um, what'd you win by that night? I won by knockout, uh, right. won by knockout in the first round. It was, it was pretty one sided and, and I had had a phenomenal camp was on point and that was really in the prime of my career. And really my prime was less physical as it was mental. I was just in a great situation, really focused on fighting and every person I fought, I was laser focused on them, what they were going to do to me. And, and, and I was growing in a position where I was getting good information and growing well. People don't understand the nerves of walking into a cage by yourself at a certain time with the world watching and that guy across from you is allowed to kill you. And I try and tell football players you want to, you know, transition over to boxing and MMA, like, dude, you don't understand the nerves. And they're like, oh, I've played in the Super Bowl. No, 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 it's fucking different. What's the difference in nerves for you going into a gunfight as opposed to a cage fight? You know, in, in, in a gunfight, right, lives are on the line. Right. Right. And, but you're going in there with a unit and, and you've got responsibilities and you have to be laser focused on everything that you're going to execute. You know, when you're an officer specifically, you know, you're like an offensive coordinator who's playing middle linebacker, right? Cause you're on the field, you're right in the middle and you're calling all the shots. You're calling all the audibles while the bullets are flying. And so. You have to compartmentalize all of that anxiety because you don't allow yourself to have the nerve. You can't have it because in the absence, right, of your decisions, that unit doesn't move forward. You are constantly, you are constantly firing, maneuvering, communicating, right, and moving the battle and calling the audibles necessary to put your Marines in the right position to win the fight, be safe. And oh, by the way, it's not just about defeating the enemy in the war we were in. It's also about all the civilians you're surrounded by. How do you keep them safe? Because if you're getting fired at with the enemy, right, it's not like, oh, hey, shoot back. No, it's what are they firing at us with? What are we allowed to respond with because of our rules of engagement? Hey, sorry, Johnny, your heavy machine gun on that vehicle can't fire because they're only firing at us with an AK-47. And that's an area fire weapon. We need precisions because if you're off the mark on that building, the window he's shooting at us, you're going to hit these people down the supermarket. Like, they don't, you wow. don't get attacked. You don't get attacked in isolated environments. You get attacked right in the middle of a market, right in the middle of a school where there are civilians everywhere. And that makes the battlefield so much more complex. When you're going into a fight, it's just you. And the other thing about it is it's a 50% pay scale. 
right? You win the fight, you could pay your mortgage for six months. You lose the fight, you could pay your mortgage for three months. Oh, you want to make investments into your kid's 529 plan? You better win the fight because your sponsors have bonuses as well. Oh, you want, you want a better contract, right? I wanted a better contract with the UFC and I wanted to fight for the title. So the UFC said, well, the only person that you can fight, if you want more money, the only guy will let you fight is Chael Sonnen. Nobody wanted to fight Chael. And which is the worst matchup for you ever. Yes. Oh, horror. Style. Absolutely. Horror. Right. And they were like, okay, you want more money? Go beat him. And they couldn't get anybody to fight him at the time. It was right after he'd lost to Anderson the first time. Um, and, and so you lose those types of fights and the, the financial swing is massive. And I've been in the locker room. I've been in the locker room where, I mean, even the best ever, you know, George St. Pierre, he would get so nervous. Yeah. He would pray the lights would fall down so he didn't have to fight. I've seen fighters, Cowboy Cerrone used to hate fight, hated the fight, loved training, hated the fight because he'd get so nervous. And then we've seen other guys, again, like, you know, I've seen Dan Henderson and Randy Couture fucking fall asleep back there. Oh. It's unbelievable, right? Henderson's like farting on you. He, yeah, he's farting and burping and making jokes about your mom and shit. And like, it's just like, how the fuck are you so calm? Like, Randy, we couldn't keep awake. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, I mean... You know, there, and I think that, um, there are some advantages with, I think, wrestlers and combat sports athletes. They are, they are not coming from team sports. They're used to one on one. All the blame is on you. And there's a comfort zone when they can get their hands on you. If, hey, I can get out of this whole kickboxing match, I'm going to get my hands on you. I'm going to get to my comfort zone and then I'll be able to kind of get the nerve to go away. Cause once you get settled into the fight, once you get into it and you're there, all of that goes away and everything starts to come really clear. Unless, you know, I used to tell, I used to say this a lot when I was broadcasting. If you know you got a green fighter or a fighter who's not in the right mindset and you know they're shook, you jump on them right away. Never let them settle into the fight. Let the, and you know who the one of the best is at this is Michael Bisping. Bisping would know and he would plant these seeds of doubt through his shit talk. Right. He'd plant little seeds of doubt in the people he would fight. And then he'd, he'd talk to him a little bit and he'd see it sprout. And once he'd see the doubt in your eyes, he'd start exploiting you. And, and whether it was jabs, kicks in and out, being elusive, hitting you with a takedown, right? Like he did a phenomenal job and he'd get guys so tired that he'd break them. His pace was ridiculous. Yes. Unbelievable. His pace, 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 pace. I remember, you know, doing some work with Luke Rockhold before he fought him and. Luke's hands were down. I'm like, hey, Luke, you got to have your hands up with this guy. He's like, no, I control the range. I'm like, fuck, no, you don't. Not with Michael Bisping, you don't. You you do not control the range. And that's where that sport is just different. There is no rhythm that you could (laughs) sing it. There is, but there's not, right? All of a sudden, that rhythm can change real fast. Dude, it's unforgiving, right? You could be totally dominating and winning a fight. Out of nowhere, you get clubbed with a punch you don't remember. And then you wake up. You know, when I lost to Vanderlei, I remember I didn't realize the fight was over until John Anik was sitting there with a microphone in my face. I had no idea what had happened. And I was like, oh, I guess I lost. Is that I didn't you remember winning. The interview? Yeah, I didn't remember winning, so I knew I lost at that point. <laughs> I'm dripping blood. I'm like, I don't, I don't even, I don't, like, I didn't come to until that moment. There he is. Like, shh, must have lost. So Brian also became a broadcaster with me, which is, man, you're talking about guerrilla broadcasting. Our first fight together we're doing in Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha. And this one, Fox, we used to do every single thing on the road. And then I think after that, we stopped because there was at one point they came to me. I'm looking at Brian. It's his first night. And they're like, they want me to read a script to go to an Anderson Silva, you know, feature or something like that. But the script in there 
It's about Ronda Rousey. So they're like, go to read the script, read the script. And I turn around. I just start looking at Brian again. I start talking. And Brian's like, why are we still talking? Right? Let's like, why are we still talking? Right? And I'm like, let's go. And they're like yelling in my ear. And no one's realized they got the wrong script. Well, then they finally realize it. And Brian is like, oh, shit, I better keep talking here with Jay. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, okay, lead to the script. Well, I go to the script. Now it's upside down. Right? So I remember that? I, I turn back around to you. And I just start talking again. And you're like, what's, what's going on? And he's hearing them scream at me, read the script, read the script. And no one's taking the time to look. It's a fucking upside down script. You were leaning over the deck when they ISO me and I was talking. You were leaning over trying to tell the stage manager, Hey, this script's like, I mean, you were trying to mime it to him. I was dying laughing. And, and you had set me up so well that I remember the minute that show ended, George Greenberg was right there. And he said, hey, you're our new guy. Every time we're on Big Fox, you're our new guy from now on. And I was like, I was blown away. It yeah, was awesome. Because you're Captain America. You've done it all. all right, and now tell the world what you're doing now. Sure. Um, so I, I left broadcasting and I went to go work for a private equity firm called Cerberus Capital. And I took a chief operating officer position building a single family rental portfolio. They had about 4,500 homes at the time. We then blew up and grew it to about 36,000 homes in 24 different cities. And I was running all operations um, for the company. And you've also since got your, your MBA, right? From Yeah. During from that MBA? time, yeah, during that time I got I went and got my executive MBA at Kellogg, right. studied in in uh, Israel and, and Hong Kong. And, and anyways, my success at first be homes working with Cerberus then led me to get recruited for a CEO role. And so I'm now the chief executive officer for Hunt Military Communities. We're the, the largest privatized military housing provider in the country. I actually get on a plane tomorrow morning. One of my biggest offices is in Honolulu. We manage all the base housing at Pearl Harbor and Kanoe Bay Marine Corps Base. So I'll go see my teams there for the next two days. And I'm meeting with uh, two admirals and and one Marine Corps general, one Marine Corps colonel to really talk about what, what we're doing now is we're making the biggest investment in technology in the history of military housing to truly revolutionize how we deliver maintenance, how we lease these homes, how we manage these communities and provide service to these service members to really improve military housing um, for the next several decades. So every time I talk to Brian, he makes me feel like, and what the fuck have you done Tuesday, Glazer? Like, like, so now is he tougher than us? He's smarter than us too. And hence my Jonas Salk joke about you. Before my last question, I'm going to ask you this one. Again, I, Found something very profound. You or your wife said at your wedding, which was great. I showed up to with, with, uh, Rosie and my gift to you that day was that I showed up with Rosie and, uh, <laughs> and man, you're just this different spiritual person. And I think your wife said to me, and you said it like, man, if there is a God that I'm going to hell for everything I've done. And now you realize that's not the case. Like you're here to be of service and you've done some beautiful heavenly things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was, you know, meeting her, combining our families and, and watching our, our children grow. And, and, you know, she really opened up my heart and, and me to vulnerability I, I never knew existed. I mean, I've told her things I've never told anybody before. And I've prayed more than I've ever prayed before. And in those years, in those moments, realizing, Hey, You've been put in some really, really challenging scenarios. 
you've developed some, some significant leadership skills and mankind, human beings, we are very flawed. We're the most violent species on the planet. And God put me through these things to, to use my experiences, my leadership, however his plan is set for me. Um, but it really allowed me to forgive myself, right? For, for what happened to, to Marines and, you know, for the fact that the, the country I served in, you know, isn't exactly in great shape. And, and, and that's really disappointing to me and really come back and believe and realize, you know, that we make mistakes as humans, but it, it is not because of the absence of a God. And, and, um, that faith has really allowed me to be a lot more settled who I am, what I've done and what I need to be, you know, for my family, um, my wife and kids, my extended family, my friends and my company, my employees, my community, right. To be the best version. Cause that's really, it's all about just, it's about being the best version of yourself. And when you can do that, the ultimate success is happiness. Yes. And it's really hard for service members to achieve. And it's really hard for people who are dealing with mental health problems to achieve. And a lot of times, man, we're holding ourselves back for, for reasons, you know, beyond our control. We just need to seek some help. And, and I found it. It's so beautiful seeing you at peace because you deserve that peace. It's beautiful to see, man, your growth. And look, I, you know, I'm a big faith guy. I'm a big God guy, but I believe that God is a, a loving God, a best friend God and a best friend type parent, not looking to punish me for everything. And I went through that too, that guilt feeling that everything I'm being punished for. But no, like, if you really just, and that's my choice. And I'm not pushing religion here on anybody, anything like that. My choice is to believe that God is my best friend and best friend parent. So I'm never alone. So I'm going to go after life as hard as I can. And I never feel fully alone in doing that. And all I ask back is, is love. And that's it. And I don't think we're judged. I don't think we're, I know we're ingrained to think that. Um, but I don't believe that it's an all punishing being out there. I think God is love. So I agree I'm glad you. that you've made peace with that, man. I, I'm proud to see it. Your growth is beautiful. Right. Thank you. You're a hundred percent correct. Right. And, and, um, when, when you start to believe that you start be being able to forgive yourself yes. as well. You know, we are all the older we get and the more we talk to each other, you realize, boy, we all make a lot of the same mistakes and, and, and we need to give each other a lot more grace. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right. Last question. I ask every one of my guests, give me your unbreakable moment, your moment that man, could have broken you, should have broken you, and didn't. And as a result, you came through the other side of that tunnel, and that is your currency for the rest of your life. Man, you know, I've got two, to be honest. It was, you know, after after my second tour in, in Iraq, you know, it was two back-to-back tours, and there was so much darkness inside of me that to the point where it could have consumed me. And... The next thing I know, I find out I'm having a baby. I've got a fight scheduled. Guy's fighting supposed to be really good. I don't know anything. I got sand in my ears and I was just full of confusion. And I remember being so angry walking into the cage. I didn't want to be there, but I sure as hell didn't want to lose. And I was like, all right, you know what? I don't know how much of this sport I know, but I mean, everything I throw tonight is going to be violent. And and I won that fight, and I had a bunch of my Marine Corps buddies there, right there at the Hard Rock at the joint. They went nuts. And there was just a period of like, wow, you know what? 
I'm not going back to like this dark anchor around my neck for what happened. And it was a similar moment when, when I was getting divorced and I was so afraid about losing my kids and, you know, you just have all these unknowns and nobody ever maps out their life expecting that to happen. And it opened up those dark thoughts again. It brought back all these memories from combat that I hadn't thought about in a long time, Jay. Man, I went back to training, put my mind at work, but went back to training, opened up to friends. And I called you, you know, we, we talked, we saw each other in person a couple of times. And man, over a course of just a couple of months, dude, I was back. Like I was getting my MBA. I was kicking ass at work. I was doing everything as a dad. And I was like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I touched rock bottom again for a second. There's no way you're holding me down there. And like I pull on those moments all when I think something might be hard, right? Or I got a boo-boo or something, I think about those two points in life, man, and I draw strength from them for eternity. And, and our vulnerability and the time he's talking about about Brian going through his divorce, it had rocked him. And I called him and we were supposed to do something with the NFL and you were bailing out and I called you and I said, Hey, this ain't fucking like you. Right? This isn't like you. Pull your shit together because this isn't fucking like you. We could be as sad as we want. We could grieve, but don't change who you are. Right? And you're yep. like, fuck, you're right. That's it. You skipping out on something is not who the fuck you are. Get back to who you are. And you're like, I'll be on the plane tomorrow. Yep. That's man, that's, what, that's what brothers do for each other. That's right. That's right. We call each other on our shit, man. Oh, and, yeah. and it was, it's, it's a, you me a lot of my shit. Yes. You know, we hold each other accountable to, to, to the people that we are, the character that we are. And, and, and I love it. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get a couple people listening to this, man. And I know lots of people listening to your podcast. Your book was phenomenal. Um, I hope that more and more people are drawing strength and realizing that vulnerability is, is the first step towards happiness. Right. And moving forward. Man, that's great, man. I love you, dude. You know, I love you. And I'm going to finish off the podcast the same way I started. Thank you for being there for me. Brother, thank you. Brother, you thank have, you for everything. You saved me over and over. And when I'm at my darkest, I've turned into you, man. And you've fucking been there every time. But I appreciate you saving me, brother. Always, brother. Always, love man. You, my dude. Thank you, brother. Right? Let's always walk this walk together, man. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. 
going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.